Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to episode three on What About Therapy. I'm your host, Enoch Fossum. I'm currently going to school to become a licensed marriage and family therapist. And today in this episode, we're going to talk about the different tools that we can use to combat these cognitive distortions that we've talked about in the last two episodes. So ways that we can change our negative way of thinking into a more positive way of thinking and a more really healthier way of thinking to live a better, happier, and healthier life. Coming up next on What About Therapy? All right, everybody. So these past two weeks, we've been talking about cognitive distortions or remember they're just distorted thoughts or negative thinking. And it's really ways that our brain kind of convinces us into believing these negative thoughts uh, about ourselves or about others. And so I hope these past two weeks you've been able to maybe identify some of these distortions that you deal with on a day-to-day basis, because I know I have as I've been learning more and more about this. I've been able to learn and really just see how cognitive distortions play a role in my life. And today in this episode, we're going to talk about ways to overcome them and to combat it. And so really the first thing, though, that I want to put out there is that these tools, they're not going to work for everybody or for everything, every cognitive distortion that you deal with, because everyone is so different and everyone is so unique. You know, there's birth order, there's nature, the way you were born, your biology, there's nurture, the way you grew up, the way that you were raised in a family, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's all these different factors that play into all of us that plan to each individual. So we're all different. And so this isn't a one tool fits all, one you know way of helping someone fits everything, fits everyone. We're all different. And so if you try one of these tools, you try one of these exercises and it doesn't work for you, don't get, dis- don't, don't get discouraged. Don't get sad and just know that it's okay. All right. Don't think you are defective or that you're a terrible human being, because remember, that's a distortion in and of itself, (laughs) okay? And so in, again, this is going to be from the book Feeling Great by David Burns. And in his book, he talks about around 50 different techniques that we can do to combat these different distortions. But for the sake of time, I'm I'm not going to go through all 50 of them. (laughs) I'm I'm mainly just going to go through about mm, probably five or four, but these ones are the most effective for all the distortions. And so, yeah, because, you know, some of these distortions or not the distortions, some of these different tools, the techniques are very specific for different distortions, but the ones that I'm going to talk about are broad for all the distortions. So you can apply these ones no matter what distortion you have. And again, just because this uh, technique is very broad doesn't necessarily mean it's going to always work for you 100% of the time. And so these are just different tools that I want to give you to be able to try and to test out, to be able to really add another weapon to your arsenal to when you have a negative thought that comes up, you can do your best to try and combat it. So the first thing that I want to talk about is called 
daily mood logs. So these are things that David Burns has, usually all of his clients do, um, especially now. So what it is is that you you write down your moods every day, so how you're feeling, what kind of thoughts you're having. You write all this down, and then after you write it down, you go through it, and you try and identify different cognitive distortions that you have throughout your day or um, throughout, I guess, that time that you were writing. So you first write down how you're feeling, write down your thoughts, what you're thinking. So for example, if you're feeling very angry, write down why you're angry. Is it because someone did something to you? Is it because you messed up? You know, you get the general idea. So write that down and then go back and identify a distortion. So for example, if you're saying, like for me, I'm working on my handstands right now. And the other day, I actually, I got really frustrated because I kept, I kept just falling over and I couldn't, I couldn't hold it for as long as I wanted to. And I've held it longer in the past. And so I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like I should be able to hold this for even longer than I have in the past. And right now I can't. And so I was really labeling myself as a failure because I couldn't hold my handstand for longer than I usually could just in that moment, but I've done better in the past. And so you see how that's a distortion right there. That's overgeneralization or even all or nothing thinking where I, I couldn't hold a handstand for a minute. And so I am a failure or like I like all this training is for nothing or Overgeneralization again, that's really the same thing where I couldn't hold my handstand. I was doing bad. I was just having a bad day in the gym. And I used that moment to, I applied that to my whole life. Like, I'm a failure. Or, like, why am I even here in the gym if I'm not even improving? And so it was, it was a difficult, a difficult day in the gym, we'll say. And everyone has those moments. I mean, especially with body weight stuff like calisthenics, like, that is such a patience game. And sometimes I just do not have the patience for it. So anyways, let's see, I lost my train of thought here. So I would write that down, write that experience down, what I was feeling, why, and then go back and identify those distortions that maybe I didn't realize in the moment. And I really didn't. Like, I, I'm not going to identify a, a distortion. I'm in, I'm in the middle of getting a pump, man. I'm in the middle of a hard workout. And so going back, identifying them, and then you're able to recognize them in the future. And once you recognize them, you can again, you can now start to to combat these negative thoughts with some of these techniques that I'm going to share. So the first one here is going to be, it's called positive reframing. And I love this concept. I love this technique. It is super interesting to me. So the whole point of positive reframing is to, number one, to think about some of the advantages or the benefits of the negative thought or feeling that you're having. So I don't know if you've ever thought that or ever thought about advantages to negative thinking, because before learning about positive reframing, I've, I've never thought about thinking about uh, negative thoughts as a benefit or 
or the advantage of it. I've never thought about that. So that's number one. Think about some of the advantages or benefits to a negative thought or feeling. Number two is think about if the negative thought or feeling, what does what does that show about you and your core values that's positive and amazing? So just that concept alone, I love. So think about that. So whenever you have a negative thought or a feeling, a negative feeling, say, what does this negative thought or feeling show about me and my core values that's positive and amazing? And I think you'll find some pretty interesting things. So I'm going to do some reading here from, from the book, from Feeling Great. He gives some amazing examples here of clients that he's had and that have had experiences with this. And so... The person's story I'm going to share, her name's Karen. And so Karen was struggling with feelings of depression, anxiety, and anger. And for the past nine years, okay, so it's been a long time that she's been struggling with these. And so the reason for this is that, let's see, this reads... He says, nine years earlier, Karen's 12-year-old daughter, Ashley, asked if, asked if she should go out. At, let's see, asked if she, if she could go out, sorry, a little tongue twister, and play after dinner. Karen had mixed feelings because it was getting late, but said it was okay since Ashley often went out to play at that time anyway. So unfortunately, some of the neighborhood boys with a high-powered pellet rifle snuck up on Ashley and shot her in the face. They said they didn't think the gun was loaded. Luckily, the bullet didn't kill her, but it did blow out her front tooth, including the roots. So Ashley ran inside, sobbing, screaming, and bleeding profusely. And so this, this experience, Karen, it's, it had a really big effect on Karen negatively. Because over the past nine years, she was, she labeled herself as a bad mom. You know, she... She thought about, like, what if I didn't let her go out? She would be safe. She wouldn't have gotten shot in the face with the pellet gun. And so because of that, because of uh, her daughter's experience, that caused her daughter, Ashley, to have to do several dental surgeries to repair her mouth and a lot of psychiatric treatment for PTSD. And so it also had a very negative effect, negative effect on her daughter, which in turn affected Karen, her mom, even more because Ashley had to go through all of these traumatic experiences. Like, like I've had some really traumatic experiences with the dentist back in the day. Like I had to get four of my teeth, my four front teeth pulled out. I had a root canal in that apparently um, in my four teeth. And so he had just pulled them out. I was like eight or something. I don't even know how, how young I was. I was really young. And to this day, I, you know, I still don't like going to the dentist because of that. And each time I go, it gets better and better because I realize that it's really not that bad. But because of that experience, because of that traumatic experience, I've not liked the dentist for years and years. And so Ashley, you know, bless her heart, she had to go through so many different surgeries to repair her mouth. And also, go to therapy to help with PTSD. And so that's, that's, that's so hard. 
And I can't even imagine how how that made Karen feel, you know, her mom, Ashley's mom, to go over that situation in her head over and over and over again to think that all of this pain, all of this, these surgeries, all of this therapy could be avoided if she didn't let her go out and play that night. But, you know, she did. You can't really change that situation. It already happened. Okay, it's in the past. And so when Karen met with Dr. Burns, this was actually at at a training that David Burns was doing with Dr. Jill Levitt. Karen volunteered to be a like the example on talking about positive reframing. And so they went over the situation, you know, why Karen was feeling depressed and why she was struggling with feeling guilty and anxiety and a bunch of anger. So they identified those feelings and then they started to go through the positive aspects of those negative thoughts, so of those negative feelings like depression, guilt, anxiety, and anger. And so this is what Karen and with the help of David Burns and Jill Levitt, this is what they came up with. So some of the advantages of having guilt, for example, has motivated Karen to do everything possible to help her daughter. So physically, emotionally, etc. for the past nine years. And so her guilt prevents her from making a similar mistake in the future. Excuse me. So can you see how that can be an advantage to that negative thought? And it's also interesting when they talk about her core values, saying, how does guilt identify some of my core values? The core values they they thought of, or that they discovered, was that Karen's guilt is an expression of her intense love for her daughter. So isn't that beautiful? I think that's, I think that's amazing. Or her guilt reveals her sense of responsibility as a parent. So to be a protector, you know, and a provider. Or another one is her guilt shows that she has a moral compass and high standards. High standards as in that she should do better that's she that's a that's a should statement but she can do better to to be a parent that she can make mistakes but that's okay i i love that so another one let's see for her sadness so the advantage of being sad or her suffering she said that it makes her feel more compassionate and more really just more compassionate with others who are suffering and more that makes her feel closer to her daughter and all that she had to go through. And so I think that is also such an amazing concept right there where just with two things with guilt and sadness, you can see the advantage of that advantages of that. And then her core values that sadness presents is that her sadness is totally appropriate since her daughter has suffered greatly or that if she didn't feel sad, then it might be like saying that she didn't really care about her daughter's suffering. And so again, it's kind of like the guilt is that feeling guilty or feeling sad shows that you really do care. It shows that Karen cares about her daughter. Okay, so for, for the sake of time, we'll just go over one more. So for anxiety, 
So we've gone over guilt, sadness, and now anxiety. So her anxiety shows that she, or her anxiety makes her vigilant so she can protect her daughter. So I think that's, that's really cool. Being anxious is a sense of vigilance to protect her daughter and to protect if she has any other kids or any of any any other of her family members and then her core value that anxiety shows is her love for her daughter again and for herself since they both deserve protection and so feeling anxious feeling anxiety can it showed karen's just like sadness and guilt showed her love for her daughter and for herself, with which I thought was was awesome, was very beautiful that that she deserves protection as well. So too, feeling anxious shows that she thinks and she knows that she deserves protection, as does her daughter. So that's positive reframing. I hope that made sense. So just think about something in your life or your negative thoughts that you have. And try and change that. Try and think of how that negative thought can be a benefit to you. And I think you'll be surprised at what you find. So with positive reframing comes what David Burns calls the magic dial. So as an example, people with negative thoughts, with cognitive distortions, so all of you, including me, just picture that you have a magic button. Okay, And when you click this magic button, when you press it, it can make all of your cognitive distortions go away. So all your feelings of depression, anxiety, sadness, anger, guilt, you know, all these different things, when you press that magic button, they can go away. But now think, now that you have been able to identify uh, positive things that can come from your negative thinking or advantages to having these thoughts, these negative thoughts, when you press that button, all of those benefits, all of those advantages will also go away. And so you get rid of the negative, you get rid of the, you know, the negative side of anger, the negative side of guilt, depression, anxiety. But when you press the magic button, you also get rid of the positive. So think here, would you press this magic button? And, and a lot of you, me included, when I first heard this, I was like, well, yeah, like I really, I really don't care. But the more you think about it, the more you think about how sometimes these negative thoughts can be really an advantage to you and a protection to you. That's when I'm like, hold on, maybe I don't want to press this magic button. And so for example here, I'm going to continue reading Karen's story. And so they told her, David Burns and Jill Levitt, told her about this magic button. And so if you were in Karen's position, would you want to press this magic button to get rid of all these negative thoughts, these negative feelings? And so now take that magic button and turn it into a dial. So we'll call it the magic dial. So instead of completely getting rid of all these negative thoughts and so the negative sides of these thoughts and the positive sides you can now dial it so for example i'll read this here so it says karen's feelings of sadness are totally appropriate 
right? And I, I totally agree with that too. I would feel probably very similar to the way Karen felt if it was my own child. So David Burns says, can you imagine how weird it would be if she pressed the magic button and suddenly felt happy? It would be like saying, oh, my daughter has suffered tremendously for the past nine years because she got shot in the mouth, but I'm happy as I can be. So he goes on to say, can you see how bizarre that would be? So some of the sadness and depression about her daughter's trauma is totally appropriate, even desirable, he says. But does she need to feel 90% sad and depressed? If she had a magic dial, would you want to dial down her sadness too? Karen decided that 10% would be sufficient. And so Karen said that she would just want to dial down her, her sadness to 10%, her sadness and depression, instead of 90%. And so with the magic dial, you want to be able to um, dial down these feelings and these thoughts to a more manageable level instead of unmanageable, like 90%, which is like severe depression and severe anxiety to where, you know, it, it controls you and you can't think of anything else but that traumatic event. And so turn that down, turn those feelings down to about 10%, like Karen said, or if you're doing it for yourself, dial it down to whatever is manageable for you. Because again, everyone's different. We're all different. Some people can manage 30% of depression and sadness without having it really affect them. And some 30% is a lot, you know, and so they would have to dial it down to maybe 10%, 5%, or whatever you think is comfortable, whatever is comfortable for you. And so that way you can really dial down the negative parts, the negative feelings and thoughts, I guess the negative side of these feelings and thoughts. And also by dialing, by dialing those negative parts down, you can keep the positive parts. And so I hope that makes sense. At first, when I first learned about this, it really, I don't know, I kind of had to think about it a little bit, but it makes sense to me now. And so I hope it it makes sense to you. Maybe not right now, but go ahead and just, you know, go back a couple minutes and listen to it again and try and try and grasp the concept of this because I think it's very beautiful. So if, let's say, Karen pressed that magic button and so the advantage of being, uh, feeling guilt, for example, so it says that her guilt motivated her to do everything possible to help her daughter physically, emotionally for the past nine years. And so if she got rid of that feeling, rid of guilt, maybe she wouldn't have that drive to help her daughter in the way that she has. Does that make sense? And so when you dial it down, you can uh, manage the negative side of feelings and thoughts, and then you can keep the positives, which I think is really cool. And so positive reframing, you reframe your negative thoughts and you try and understand the advantages or the benefits of the negative thoughts or feelings, and then you just need to dial it down. So instead of pressing, pressing that magic button, just dial it down. And so you can keep those positive parts, the core values that those distortions or that those thoughts, those negative thoughts show 
you know, those core values that you have are a big part of you. And so you don't want to get rid of them. And the cool part is, is that these negative thoughts, again, show your core values. They show who you really are and show how, like in Karen's spot, how loving of a mom she is, how loving of an individual she is to others and especially towards her daughter, towards her family. So that's positive reframing and the magic button and the magic dial. And so we don't really want the magic button. We kind of want to lean more towards the magic dial. dial, dial down those negative thoughts to keep the positives. And so now the next technique we're going to talk about is the double standard technique. And I think this technique is really interesting. So the double standard technique is really in a sense, how would you talk to someone who is in your position? And so let's use my handstand example. So if I was with my friend at the gym and we were both working on handstands and my friend was having a tough day at the gym like I was the other day and he just could not hold a handstand for, let's say his all-time record is like five minutes, okay? Which is... <laughs> which is insane. So he can hold it for five minutes. And just on a certain day, he could only hold it for about two minutes. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm such a failure. I've held it for five minutes. That's three minutes longer than what I've already done. So with, with the double standard technique, think about how you would respond to your friend in that situation. So would you say, yeah, dude, like you are a total failure. You're such a bum. Like that's a weak sauce, man. You can, you've held it for five minutes and you're only holding it for two. Like, are you kidding me? You must be getting weaker, man. Weak sauce. You're just, you're just a loser, man. You know, I think most of you, hopefully, hopefully all of you wouldn't say that to your friend. Uh, and so the double standard technique is you talk to yourself as you would talk to your friend in that situation. And so, for example, if I was in that situation, I would say, hey, man, like, calisthenics, body weight stuff, especially handstands, it's it's such a patience game, you know? And I've seen you hold it for five minutes. I know what you're capable of. Just some days it's it's different. You know, you may have gotten a, a bad night's sleep. You may have not eaten, may not have eaten right the previous day or the day of. You may be running on an empty stomach. You know, there's a whole bunch of different factors that can play into this. And so you're not a loser. You're not weak because you held it for two minutes. That's still super impressive. Most of the world can't hold it for two minutes, let alone five seconds. And so it's just having a bad day, man. You know, brush it off and go get them the next day. You know, you'll do better tomorrow. So you see how that's quite different from saying, oh, you're a loser. You know, you're so weak. And a lot of us tend to think, especially me at that day at the gym, like I'm like, what am I doing? You know, I'm such a loser. I'm weak. I can't hold it for as long as I have before. But instead of talking to yourself that way, talk to yourself in the way you would a friend. So saying things like, hey, you know, it's a patience game. It's okay. And maybe think about like earlier that day, think about what you had to eat. Like, for example, before 
before that gym session, the day I was struggling, I didn't eat a couple hours before, you know, I, well, I ate a couple hours before. And so I was kind of running on an empty stomach. So that can be a factor into holding handstands and to just working out in general because I have no energy. And so instead of saying I'm weak, I could say, oh man, I just, I just haven't eaten much today. And so that's why, that's why I'm not performing the way I want to, but that's okay. I'll do better tomorrow. Maybe eat a granola bar or an orange before I go to the gym and kind of be able to have that extra boost of energy. And so the double standard technique can be very powerful, especially when you deal with things like labeling, you know, labeling yourself or overgeneralizing, saying that you're a loser or applying an event that you didn't perform the way you wanted to, to your entire life where you are a failure and your life is just messed up because of that one event. So the double standard technique is just learning to really be kind to yourself and to realize that it's okay to make mistakes sometimes, but you don't need to instantly go into this negative way of thinking and telling yourself you're a loser. Just think of the double standard technique and how you would talk to a friend or how you would talk to a family member if they came to you and they were struggling with the same thing you were struggling with. Because I I know 100%, hopefully, that all of you, would your reactions would be different. You wouldn't tell your friend or family member that they're a loser or, like in my case at the gym, like a failure or, you know, whatever it may be. So that's honestly one of my favorite ones it's, is the double standard technique is just learning to be kind to yourself, learning to, learning to talk kindly to yourself because a lot of us are very, very kind to other people in public and we can be very mean to ourselves. And just think about that. Think about how you treat others and think about how you treat yourself. You know, is it different? Is it the same? And if it's different, if you treat others kindly and you treat yourself badly, then I think you would really benefit from the double standard technique to start talking to yourself as you would a friend. I've had some, I guess, really major life changes in my life because of the double standard technique. I've been kinder to myself. I've been really softer to myself when I make mistakes and when I don't perform the way I want to like in the gym. It's helped me become more patient. It's helped me become more loving to myself uh, and to others as well, because you're able to really help. When you notice it in yourself, you can also notice it in others and help them as well. And so that's the double standard technique. I hope that all made sense. The next one we're going to talk about here is the semantic method. So the semantic method is really simple. It's from uh, So you go from saying, for example, like, I'm a defective human being to saying, I'm a, hum I'm a human being with defects. Excuse me. So do you see how, do you see what that difference is there? So saying, I'm a defective human being, instead saying, I'm a human being with defects. And so saying you're a defective human being is usually an all or nothing thinking statement, right? or overgeneralization where you make a mistake or you notice a flaw you have and you say, oh, I'm just, I'm just defective. Like everything about me is just wrong. 
and you apply that single flaw to everything about you, everything about your entire being. And so instead, from saying, I'm a defective human being, or I'm a flawed human, you say, I'm a human being, and I have some defects, that's true, but I also have a lot of good things about me as well. And so that's the semantic method. I also really love that one as well. I'm a huge believer, if you can't tell, on being kind to yourself, being loving to yourself, because we're always taught to be kind to others, to love one another, right? But it's not really taught to love yourself, to treat yourself kindly, just like you should another person, which I think we need to teach more about. We need to teach that to more people because a lot of these cognitive distortions can be changed with just learning to love yourself and understanding that, yeah, you have flaws. We all do. And that's okay. That's a part of life. But realizing that that one flaw or that one action doesn't determine your entire being. It doesn't determine your entire life. It doesn't determine who you are. And so the semantic method and the double standard technique really help you to be kind to yourself and to recognize when you're not being so kind to yourself and when you can do better. And yeah, I'd love the semantic method. I've benefited from that a lot as well. All right. We're almost there. So hang in, hang in there with me. We've, this is like 35 minutes, my longest episode so far. Crazy. Grant that I've only done two, which is, hey, we're getting there. Let's go. So the next one here we're going to talk about is examine the evidence. So this is also a really simple one. So you just examine what are your flaws and then think about what are your strengths. So is everything about you defective or is it just these, these parts about you that are defective or these things that you can work on that you're not performing the best at? Does that make sense? And so, because when you start to really examine the evidence, examine what's real and not what you're making up, when you examine what's real, you'll come to see that, yes, you have flaws. Yes, you have some defects, but that's okay. Your your strengths and the positives about you will almost always outweigh the flaws or the negatives that you're comparing yourself to. And so when you examine what's real, examine the evidence, examine what's there, you'll see that you are like 70% positive, 60% positive, and the other 30 to 40% is can be negative or something that you can work on, things that are flaws or defects. And the thing I love about flaws and defects is that they're not there forever. And even if they are, let's say you have only have one leg and you, I, you know, you're probably never going to grow back another leg, but that's only a defect. That's only a flaw if you let it to be one. And so on some days it can be harder than others. You know, you can be just really down in the dumps because you, you can't do a lot of the things that people with two legs can do, you know? But if you just accept it and you come to learn to 
love yourself on a whole nother different level and you come to accept it, then in my personal opinion, I don't really think it becomes a defect or a flaw. And so these, when you examine the evidence and you examine yourself and you see that, oh man, like there's 40% flaws, you can change it. You can, you can do better and you can improve. The secret is just being patient with yourself and using the semantic method or the double standard technique or these other techniques that we've talked about to, to work on your flaws, to work on your defects and to be patient with yourself and to learn to continue to love yourself and to be kind to yourself as you go throughout this journey, as you go throughout life. So for the sake of time, I think I'm just going to cut it there. There are these different techniques that I'm going to talk about in future episodes, I know for sure. And heck, we only talked about, let's see, one, two, three, like five. Yes, we talked about five. And there are about 45 more (laughs) that we can go into, these different techniques that we can use to overcome these cognitive distortions. So I hope that what I talked about today can really benefit you. And again, remember, if it doesn't work for you, it's okay. These aren't going to fix everything. But I do believe, I strongly believe that learning learning to love yourself and learning to be kind to yourself and to be patient really will benefit you no matter what you're going through. So all these cognitive distortions, even if you struggle severely with depression and anxiety, just try to be patient with yourself. I know, I know that can be very hard, especially on some days you know, like when I struggle at the gym, it can be hard in the moment to be patient with yourself and to be kind to yourself. But when you recognize that, go back and apologize to yourself saying, oh, like I was really mean to myself. Like, I'm sorry. And I I can do better. You're not a failure. You're not weak. You just had a hard day. And that can go a long way in your mental health and your, in your emotional health and even in your, in your physical health as well. Because if, again, remember, if you tell yourself that you're not going to perform the way you want to, then most likely you're not going to. And so being kind to yourself and being patient will, I firmly believe, will slowly start to increase your, really your positivity that you have with yourself and with life and with others. And so don't be too hard on yourself if these don't work for you. But I really do hope that some of these at least work for some of you out there and really do give them a try. The first part is remember to recognize these distortions. You can use the daily mood log that helps a lot to recognize your these distortions and your negative thoughts in, in the way you think and then try and apply some of these techniques. And I think you'll, you'll be surprised, like I've said several times throughout this episode, how just I guess how quickly a negative thought can be changed into something positive that you can learn about yourself or learn about others. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm sorry it's a bit longer. This is going to be like 40 minutes. (laughs) But if you've stuck around this long, thank you so much. And I will see you all in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please leave a rating and review. That would mean the world to me. That's how I'll be able to reach and help as many people as I possibly can. And if you know of anyone that could possibly benefit from this episode or any other one of my episodes, please share it with them. You can also subscribe or follow to be notified when my future episodes come out. Thank you all so much for your support, and I'll see you in the next episode. Peace.